welcome everybody to the Autism 360 Method, a weekly podcast where we talk about everything Autism 360. Uh, Every week we're going to be catching you up with what's going on in the program, chatting with team members and talking all things mindset, as well as exploring uh, relevant ideas uh, to do with autism parenting. Uh, So most weeks (laughs) I'm lucky enough to be joined by my wonderful co-host Renee. However, Renee is not with me today, Um, so I'm going to be flying solo. We we wish uh, Renee all the best and we'll see her very soon. But I'm uh, Ella Bailey. I'm an Autism360 veteran coach and explorer of all things parenting support. So welcome to you, our lovely listeners. It's so uh, great to have you here on the Autism360 method. Uh, And before I started, I really want to extend a um, an invitation for you to get in touch with us, to chat with us, uh, to send your feedback, to ask questions. Uh, and the best way for you to do that is to drop us a line at hello at autism360.com. We love your feedback. This podcast is for you uh, and we want to be able to answer your questions. So please do drop us a line. So before we get into the nitty gritty of today, I wanted to uh, acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation on whose land I live and work and from where this podcast is being broadcast today. And I also wanted to mention that this podcast is not a substitute for medical or allied health intervention. If you're worried about your kiddo and you'd like support, please do reach out uh, to your medical professional or your allied health professional, uh, reach out to Autism360. We'd love to support you on your journey. So today, what we are going to be talking about is a bit of a hot topic at the moment in autism parenting, and that is demand avoidance and the spectrum. So uh, there's a lot of buzz going on right now um, in the autism community, in the autism parenting uh, community about demand avoidance, about PDA um, or pathological demand avoidance, uh, or sometimes it's called EDA, um, and just about what that looks like, what it is, and why these kiddos need some uh, a little bit of tweaking to the way we would typically engage with kiddos on the spectrum. Um, it's important to recognize when we're talking about um, demand avoidance, demand anxiety, or PDA, I'm going to be using those terms interchangeably in this podcast, um, that what we're talking about here is not actually an official or recognized diagnosis as per the DSM-5. Um, and uh, it's actually uh, not recognized anywhere uh, as an official diagnosis. However, where it is recognized is uh Uh, in the UK where they use a different diagnostic manual, they recognize it as a pretty uh, stable cluster of symptoms that's recognizable as something that um, impacts some kids on the spectrum and not others. There does seem to be a significant overlap between kiddos who struggle with this um, cluster of symptoms um, and are on the spectrum. Um, There are sort of um, unofficial diagnostic tools that you can use um, and that have been created and there's research going on around the idea of of PDA or demand avoidance. But I just want to flag that I'm not referring to this as an official um, or clinical diagnosis, but more as something that's been anecdotally uh, anecdotally derived um, and something that um, certainly people, uh, you know, adult autistics um, 
talk about as something that's relevant to their experience and also something that autism parents talk about as something that they experience with their kiddos. Um, and so uh, I wanted to just chat about it because um, often it's it's something that uh, we come across here on the program because um, often for a kiddo who is struggling with demand avoidance, one of the most common things that we hear from parents is that you know, a typical um, intervention approach, a traditional intervention approach just does not work for my child. It doesn't matter how many different um, OTs, speech therapists, behavior therapists we try, uh, their quality of life just doesn't seem to improve. And obviously that's what we're all aiming for, right? An improvement for our kiddos' quality of life, an improvement for the quality of life of our family. And so often what we see for kiddos who are struggling with um, demand avoidance is um, uh, a few little uh, flags that parents might say. So things like, oh, um, my kiddo just does amazingly at school. They have, you know, quote unquote, perfect behavior. Their, their teachers love them. They're a dream. But then when they come home, they have a massive meltdown, a whirlwind of chaos, <laughs> that kind of thing. Or um, they might have um, a meltdown or be unable to cope when a parent, uh, pardon me, directly asks them to do something um, that a parent might know that they can physically do, but that child is unwilling or unable to complete that task. So it might be, you know, that your child can you know, has the physical capabilities to get themselves dressed in the morning, but they are just totally point blank, unwilling or unable to do so when you ask them to do it. Um, another like typical uh, uh, flag that I see for this sort of thing is um, kiddos really are struggling with a whole bunch of what uh, what is termed sensory defensiveness. So that's... Um, uh, aversive sensory stimuli that's activated through uh, elevated anxiety levels. So for example, your kiddo might be okay putting on socks and shoes to go out to the park on the weekend, but that same child come Monday morning is unable to tolerate the feeling of their socks and shoes to go to school. So that is what we would call sensory defensiveness based on elevated anxiety levels. So that's another common one that we see uh, for uh, our kiddos who are struggling with that demand avoidance. So what I would say is that um, demand avoidance in, in kiddos on the spectrum PDA can be really um, confusing and unsettling and, and um, heartbreaking for parents specifically because, you know, you've had this diagnosis, you've had your... Um, you know, your autism moment, you've recognized that your kiddo is struggling with something. You go to um, all this all this hard work of getting them into therapy, of, of um, getting them into an early intervention setting, and then it almost makes things worse. You know, they're, they're in therapy, they're distressed, they're not coping, they can't, they're not able to uh, make progress in the way that we are expecting. And that is so difficult for families who just want to improve um, their child's quality of life. So often something that we see with um, kiddos who have demand avoidance is that um, really underlying uh body of anxiety that's driving a whole bunch of control-based um, behaviors as a strategy to manage that anxiety that they don't feel like they're coping with. So a, 
a really common way that this manifests is in not being able to tolerate or not being able to um, follow through with when a direct demand is being placed upon them. So a demand is um, really anything that is asking our kiddo to do something intentionally. So that could be you know, putting their socks and shoes on, but that could be something like eat, go to the toilet, um, go to school, any of those things. Um, and it's, you know, it's different for every child, but any of those things could be um, interpreted as a demand by your child. Um, and, you know, by their interpretation, then need to be pushed back on as a way of managing their anxiety. Um, and so I think it's confusing for parents because they know that in a in other situations, their kiddo can cope with those kinds of things. You know, my kiddo can feed themselves. My kiddo can go to the toilet. But it, in these really day-to-day situations where I'm needing to ask them to do those things in a certain time frame or under certain conditions, they're unable to cope with it or it causes a massive meltdown or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and obviously that's super frustrating for parents knowing that your kiddo is perfectly physically capable of dressing themselves to go to school but is unable or unwilling um you know to do so in the morning when everybody's trying to get ready it's chaos already and then your kiddo is not um you know not getting dressed when you know that they physically can that's a really difficult thing um to cope with in the morning getting ready for school So um, the main thing that I wanted to flag and sort of my top three tips that I wanted to um, to uh, flag as a place that you might start if you're if you feel like this is ringing bells for you or ringing bells for your child. These are the um, the ways that you might start helping uh, to see if it makes a difference for your child. So. The main thing that makes a massive difference for kiddos who are struggling with demand anxiety or PDA is to use what's called the PANDA method of communication. So there's a really great um, organization in the UK called the PDA Society, um, and they have developed a lot of research-backed strategies to help with kiddos who are struggling with demand anxiety. Um, And so this one is specifically about... um, changing the way that we verbally communicate and and non-verbally I'm, I'm using verbally here in the inclusive way it could be AAC it could be visuals or it could be spoken word changing the way that we communicate with our child and the way that we quote unquote place demands so the first one is P for pick your battles we know that um, kiddos on the spectrum who do struggle with demand anxiety need to have choice and control in their lives to be able to manage that anxiety and uh, be able to get through their day. So my um, a big one is to pick your battles, decide what's really important that you do need to um, that you do need to uh, you know really push your child to do and what you can let go of. So for example. Um, in the morning, is it more important for uh, that you that your child sits at the table to eat breakfast, or can we pick our battle and choose to let go of that and let them eat breakfast, you know, on the floor in front of the TV or in the car, as a way of reducing the demands so that your kiddo can push through the things that are difficult for them, um, whilst not worrying about the things that aren't super important. 
enable some choice and control um, for your kiddo. So, um, a, a, you know, a kiddo on the spectrum with demand anxiety or demand avoidance um, is really just looking for ways that they can manage um, the underlying anxiety through um, control over uh, whatever it is that they can get their hands on. So if we give them a little bit of choice and control, more so than they would have before, we're going to see that anxiety come down, that anxiety that means that they're pushing back on day-to-day things. We're going to see that anxiety come down. Let them choose um, what they're wearing. Let them choose how they want to get dressed. Let them choose what they're eating. Um, and you'll see a whole lot less pushback. And I think just accepting that some things can't be done. Um, and letting yourself and your child off the hook a little bit, giving yourself and your child a little bit of grace and letting it be, you know, picking our battles is an important one. The second one is anxiety management in our language. So what we want to do is we want to reduce uncertainties for our kiddos with demand anxieties, um, reduce uncertainties in our language, be really clear about what we're setting out in terms of expectations and timelines, um, and, uh, you know, giving them really nice, uh, kind of outline boundary statements, um, in terms of, uh, explaining what they're going to do. So for example, um, your child might be anxious about not knowing, uh, what teacher or, or students are going to be in their class today. Um, and so you might be able to reduce the uncertainty in that situation by saying something like, when you get to school, there will be somebody there to teach you and look after you you know, full stop. Um, so that kind of statement, it reduces uncertainty. It doesn't place demand, um, but it helps your kiddo uh, to have something that they can hang on to and reduce uncertainty in that situation that might be driving the anxiety that's really um, pushing them to, to hang on to control. Um, another one is uh, thinking ahead. So that's always going to help us um, in terms of reducing the likelihood of meltdowns and panic attacks and those sorts of things. Thinking ahead, what sort of environment is my child going into? How can I um, help them to be most safe in that environment in terms of their sensory challenges, in terms of their anxiety and in terms of their um, demand control anxiety? Um, so that's the kind of the the second uh, the second point on the uh, the panda strategy. The third point is negotiation and collaboration. I think what really uh, uh, what really makes a difference for kiddos um, who do have that uh, demand anxious uh, profile of the autism spectrum is feeling like they can collaborate with adults they trust to make decisions in their lives. And it's so important that as parents, we keep calm. In that situation where your kiddo is really struggling to let go of control, they've got these anxiety-driven behaviors, we must, and I cannot stress this enough, stay calm. If you feel like you're going to you know, flip your lid, you feel like you can't maintain control of your emotions in that moment, tag out with a parenting um partner with somebody you know another responsible adult in that situation until you can go away calm yourself and come back because uh all that you flipping your lid is going to do is uh is drive a bigger wedge it's going to create more problems um, and that's not going to be helpful for anybody so stay calm proactively collaborate and negotiate so that your kiddo feels like they have some say in what's going on. They feel like they have some agency. That's going to make a huge difference in how much they're able to cope with during the day. 
And fairness and trust are, I cannot stress enough, crucial to helping a child with demand anxiety or a PDA profile of autism to cope with demands, fairness and trust and open communication. So I think that those things are almost like the bedrock, you know, even more so than um, a neurotypical child or even a a typical profile um, of a kid on the spectrum, um, a really clearly defined um, relationship based on fairness and trust um, and a safe person that that kiddo can go to to explain why they feel anxious or why they're feeling this driving need to take control in a situation is going to be the best bedrock on which you can help your child to be able to accept the demands that are part of day-to-day life. Uh, The next, uh, uh, you know, Uh, thing that we can do is to disguise and manage demand. So the way that we're placing demands verbally. Um, And this makes such a difference for kids on the spectrum, but it does take some practice as parents and carers of kids on the spectrum um, and kids with demand avoidance. Changing our language and the way that that we ask children to do things, I cannot tell you how much of a difference this makes. So word and position requests um, indirectly. We need to be, um, instead of saying something like, um, you know, please take your dishes to the sink, um, saying something like, um, it would be great if those dishes could go in the sink. So you're not saying you have to do it. You're not saying you have to do it now. What you're saying is what you would like for the situation to happen. And your child's going to understand um to some extent that you are, you know, what you want out of the situation, but without directly placing the demand that causes that um, demand, anxiety and control uh, behaviours to pop up for your child. So we need to be constantly uh, monitoring our kiddos' um, agitation level, their tolerance level and their heightenedness um, throughout the day uh, and and match the level of demand, the the level of directness of your language to how heightened they are. If you can tell, okay, my child is really chill right now, they've just had I don't know, some time on the swing or they've just had some time in the bath, they're feeling really regulated, that's the time when they're going to be able to cope with the most um, directness of demands from you. So if you really have something that's going to be tricky for them to do, but you know that it needs to get done, then that's going to be the time that you are going to have most success with placing that direct demand on them. So pick your, pick your, uh, pick your windows wisely, folks, um, and doing things together. I would say... Um, Again, it's about that fairness and trust um, that's so central for a child to be able to let go of some of that control that they're holding on so tightly and doing things together helps. So rather than kind of directing your child to sit down and do their homework by themselves, you might sit down and say, okay, um, would you prefer me to do some of my homework or would you prefer to me, for me to help you with your homework while we sit at the table? Get, and again, there you're doing a little bit of proactive collaboration, but you're also doing things together and building that fairness and trust, giving them some choices. Um, and all those things are going to improve um, your child's capacity to cope with that demand that you're placing on them, which is that they do their homework.
Um, so the last uh, strategy given by the PDA Society um, is adaptation, something that really helps for kiddos with that demand avoidant profile um, is something like humor, distraction, novelty, role playing, um, and flexibility in the way that we place demands. So something like uh, you might um, engage in a little bit of um Oh, what's the word? Pretend play with your child. So you might, you know, your child could pretend to be the teacher teaching you how to um, write the the letters, and you could be you could pretend to be the student. Are you still getting the homework done? Are, you, are they still writing the letters? Yes, they are. Are they having such a um, you know an anxious experience that they're not able to do it? No, they're not. Um, something like. Uh, yeah, using humor, be silly, play around, see if that helps for your child to feel relaxed enough to then cope with that demand further. Um, it's going to make such a real difference um, to how your kiddo can uh, cope with those day-to-day demands. Things like, um, you know, silly sock puppets that give um, that place a request or, um yeah, something uh, something that's distracting. So you are you are asking them to eat their dinner, but at the same time you're playing a I don't know a funny card game or something like that. Um, can make a real difference to your child's regulation level, which is what drives that controlling um, demand, avoidant, anxious behaviour. Okay, so they're the end of my uh, my strategies for the that uh, PDA profile. But I did have a really interesting question from uh, one of the parents who sent in. Um, Amir from Camden asks, my child can't tolerate wearing his school socks and shoes. Every morning it's a battle. What is it about and what can I do to help him? Oh, Amir, yes. Thank you for sending this in. Um uh, it's it's a really uh, common thing that we see for um, a kiddo who's struggling with um, uh, sensory defensiveness, often a flag for um, PDA profile kiddos. Um, and something that, uh, you know, it's it's uh, can be really helpful to try is some kind of regulating sensory input directly before you're trying to put your kiddo's socks and shoes on. So something that I've talked to a lot of clients um, on the Autism 360 program about is using um, the Wilbarger brushing protocol um, directly before trying to put um, socks and shoes on. And this has been transformative for some families whose kiddos just absolutely could not um, tolerate school socks and shoes. Doing that protocol, the, the dry brushing protocol, the TheraPressure brushing has just made a world of difference to their kiddos um, pardon me, sensory experience um, that they're uh, that they're having in that moment and meaning that they're then able to um, tolerate school socks and shoes. Another um, uh, uh, strategy that I have um, heard has been very successful for a number of families is um, really modifying the type of sock that you wear. So I know that lots of schools have specific socks that you need to wear, but um, I would say it's probably better for your kiddo to get to school in any socks and shoes than to not be able to get there. Um, And so there's a particular brand called Sister Sensory and their um, seamless socks are an excellent option for kiddos who can't cope with um, 
the sensory input of typical socks. Um, and uh, so when your kiddo is saying things like they want their socks to be, their socks are, uh, their socks feel scratchy or they feel sore or they want to be wearing socks and shoes that are you know, multiple sizes too big or something like that, give that a try. Have a look at the sister sensory seamless socks. Um, and see if that makes a difference. I hope that helps, Amir. Please get in touch and let us know um, if that has uh, made a difference for your mornings. So normally we would have Renee's action points uh, for the week at this point, but alas, <laughs> you'll have to just um, you, uh, you'll have to just uh, uh, wait until next week um, to hear those. But I guess I would say if anything here has rung a bell for you around your kiddo's struggles, some things that you're seeing for your child please do get in touch. Please reach out to um, hello at autism360.com. We would really love to support you um, and to be able to help you to improve your child's quality of life and your own. That's so important. Um, so it's been lovely getting to chat with you about uh, these things, about um, our kiddos who do struggle with that demand and control anxiety. Um, we will be back next week with another uh, topic relevant to autism parenting. Uh, can't wait to see you then. And until then, think 360.